I can't find the record button. I found it. Yay. It's like, you want to do this quickly so we can go back to hating ourselves? And like, that really doesn't have like a time limit. There's yeah. not like a, like an office hours for self-hatred, is there? No. And I mean, like, I can't even talk right now because I'm eating McDonald's spicy nuggets. Not yet a sponsor. Not yet a sponsor. I can't imagine uh, a world in which they would sponsor us, but still. I would be very flattered that somehow they found us. And then also um, horrified. So, okay, Tori, you know about my fake uh, consulting firm, right? No. Okay. So me and a friend of mine, uh, we've always decided that if we ever get completely disillusioned with, like, the corporate world is that we would start a consulting agency. Um, That's, like, entirely just, like, sensitivity and, like, race sensitivity stuff for companies. Because, like, especially working in advertising for me, I see ads all the time that are like, why did no one think about this? Why did no one think that like this ad would, like that Dove ad where like the girl's washing herself and she becomes like increasingly lighter. Like why did no one think that that was okay? So my friend and I are like, we're going to start a firm. It's going to be called Black on Black Consulting. And it has like, a place on my blog and everything like I made us business cards like I went in on it it was like we're gonna do this we're gonna do this and um I was doing a presentation at my alma mater because my old rhetoric professor was like I'd love for you to talk to our communication students because like you actually have a job that isn't working at Starbucks sorry sorry to English majors but it's like you have a job that isn't being a barista um so I had like my blog up and my rhetoric professor was like, I didn't know about your consulting firm. It's like, oh God, black on black isn't real yet. Yet. But it could be. I, I like, we, we joke about it every year, but I think like we're, we're like razor close to just like renting a space in geekdom and being like, we're open. Like, fuck this. Like companies keep making horrible decisions. Like right now in the advertising world, there's a massive fallout because of the Richards group. Oh, yeah, 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 because H-E-B just fired him, right? Yeah, okay, so for those of you not in the ad world, this is where Amanda becomes Don Draper, uh, sans most of the sexual indiscretions. Um, I thought it was most of, not all of. Okay, side tangent, I was reading a list of things that are considered sexual harassment, and I have to recuse myself of my previous statement that I have never harassed a woman. I have never knowingly harassed a woman. <laughs> So, uh, to the point, so the Richards group is like, they're old, like one of the big agencies, ad agencies back in Dallas. Um, Huge client portfolio, HEB, Home Depot, Dr. Pepper Keurig, like huge multi-million dollar portfolios. Um, Their owner in a meeting said something incredibly racist. And of course, all the clients heard that, and they're like, "Yeah, we're leaving." Bye. So, I mean, it's it's huge because like this is one of the big companies in advertising, like in the world. And over like a single comment, like they're losing clients left and left because none of it is right. <laughs> I see what you did there. Thank you. <laughs> like it's it's bad, and like. I know people who work there and who are affected and like, and it sucks, but like, I'm also glad that to tie into what we're talking about, that there are consequences for these actions because like this 
happening like this time, maybe 10 years ago, would have been like, oh, old white man said a thing. But like now, oh no, that thing you said has dire consequences. Now it sucks because the person who said it isn't being hurt directly because he's still a fucking billionaire. Like he's fine. He still is the founder of a very, very successful ad agency. It's hurting the people on the ground. So it's still hurting the wrong people. But like one-to-one, there are consequences for your actions. Like we were uh, talking a little bit about to to go back to your consulting agency. Remember when we started seeing, you know, the rising of people protesting and stuff like that, all of a sudden mm-hmm. all these makeup brands mm-hmm. started who had never before tried to cater to black women, all of a sudden mm-hmm. started putting ads out and you're like, that's just somebody's hand painted. What mm-hmm. is wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Like there was a whole slew of things where you're going, you can't just Photoshop a white woman's arm, put your makeup on it and then act like you're cool. Like, right. Like you can't do that. And um, there's a lot of the conversations around this stuff are still very much um, white people yelling at other white people and ignoring brown people. Like I got into a pissing match on a Twitter last night because there's this pseudo intellectual who keeps like calling out racism in anime. And it's like, America still has racist media. I'm not saying that your argument isn't valid because it is. Japan has a huge problem with depicting black people, but it's Japan. They are 99% ethnically homogenous. And it's not an excuse, it's a reality. We live here (laughs) and there is media that's still racist against us. Like you're missing forest for trees. You're yelling at Asia when your backyard is still racist. And like, that's fine if that's what you wanna do. If that's how you wanna spend your time and your platform, miss on the internet, knock yourself out, but like, there are problems in our yard that we need to address. And there are problems that you can actually do something about. Like that's right. the thing that, that kind of blows my mind is this. Right. We have, a, we have a, quite a few people who are, are very happy to put up like, look, see, I'm, I'm totally supporting. I'm totally supporting. I'm totally supporting. And it's like, okay, great. But what did you actually do other than change your Facebook profile? Right. Like you change your Facebook profile and you as a white person spent a lot of time talking over black people is what you've done, which is not effective allyship. Anytime you're talking over people who are actually being affected by this, that is not effective allyship. Um, but yeah, I got really, really salty on Twitter last night. Cause it's like, I get your point. I'm glad you have this much free time. This is very sweet, but like, American media is still super fucking racist. Like, you need to, like, this is not where you need to be, like, this is not the hill you need to be dying on. What like, we can't, hmm? I'm sorry, one of the things I think is really interesting, too, is I've seen a lot of people lately on one side of the aisle versus the other being like, well, why don't you just go shut up and go watch Blackish? I'm like, I don't like Blackish. How, how, how is, how is telling somebody to go watch a TV show an insult? Like, cool it's media like right you want me to spend more time on abc at night like i don't understand like and it's it's also and there was a great line in this um i think it's american woman that show about that woman who tried to destroy the equal rights amendment or the equal rights act where it's like 
there is no monolithic black experience and it's like can we just have that everywhere can we just like take that sound bite and put it just everywhere because it's like that's the thing with so many black stories is that they're either too black or not black enough like they're either like super urban like detroit gangbanger or like the characters are so rich that they might as well not be black so, I've seen a lot of, sorry, not to talk over, I've seen a lot of authors say that too, where right. their first drafts are rejected because it's not mm-hmm. ethnic enough and you're going, right. so just existing as a human being isn't enough? Right. No, it's true. Like, there's not a lot. Writing as a Black person is weird because, yeah, like, either you make it, like, that first uh, WB draft of Static Shock where it's, like, just Bone Thugs and Harmony for Children. Is that not what it was? Is that not what it was? With the moralizing of Captain Planet for some fucking reason? <laughs> Please tell me you remember the Static Shock Christmas special. I haven't seen it. So there's, okay, we're not talking about the book at all. I'm mostly just laughing because I'm like, you are so impassioned and I believe it. I believe it 100%. So there's, so, okay, but you know Static Shock. I think so. Is the super Loosely. Yes. Okay, yeah. Isn't, like, Michael B. Jordan, like, getting ready to make a show of it or something? That's what the internet says. I don't okay. care. Um, so it was a show that existed on WB, like, a while ago, and, like, everyone was really, really excited, because, like, when you think of, like, black superheroes, uh, Static is, like, one of them. He's cool. Uh, he's usually pretty young. Was formerly Image, and then, like, DC ate them. Um, but don't tell Image that. <laughs> He was basically like, he, he ended up becoming almost like a Luke Cage for DC a little bit, or like anytime you needed like a black, he was there. It's like. Was there just like a meeting and they go, quick, we need a black? Like, I mean, in all fairness, they also have like Apache Chiefs. So like, DC doesn't really have like a great, you know, track record for representing anyone. I digress. Um, so, Static Shock's really, really cool. He has uh, electric powers, but he's like really inner city. Like, he lives in like New York. He's like, He's technically, he makes money, but he lives, like, he lives in a rap video. It's very, like, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air feeling. But for whatever reason, because it's a WB show, there's a lot of moralizing. So there's, like, a really, like, ham-fisted episode about racism. Because his best friend, Richie, who's gay in the comics, is not gay in the show. Um, His dad's a racist. But, like, in the comic, he's, like, a KKK racist. And in the show, he's just, like, a... I don't know the black. And it's just like, there's like this super awkward, like fucking 60s sitcom episode where like the black family and the white family have to like have dinner together and it's awkward. But there's a Christmas episode where there's another girl who has like similar mutant powers and because it's from an event called the Big Bang. I don't have time to talk about Static Shock. And like, she's homeless and she can do like Elsa ice magic stuff. (laughs) So Static being a young inner city black man when he's confused about something he goes to his pastor because that's what you do you just go you just go to church you go to church and you find your pastor and he's always available he's never busy or like doing stuff or just not fucking there because he's protestant and they don't live there (laughs) he's he's actually he's baptist so he definitely doesn't fucking live there but your pastor is just always there so he goes to his pastor and he's like i don't know how to approach the situation you know i'm having a crisis of faith um it's about as subtle as the uh, jesus scene in a man of steel 
the Zack Snyder movie. I don't know that I've watched Man of Steel. Oh my god. <laughs> so, Basically, for for a long time, if DC made a movie, I didn't really watch it. Fair. Um, um, it wasn't anything personal. It's just I was kind of like not really interested. So fair. So Static is like, I don't know how to deal with this. Like, what do I do? And they're just like walking, and it feels like a weird, like chocolate dipped version of the walk that a uh, Quasimodo and Frollo do. We're just like we're just like walking through a church for some fucking reason. <laughs> And they're talking about homelessness casually. And the pastor does like the driest line read of like, did you know that one in three people on the streets have some kind of mental illness? Like, I didn't know that father, tell me more. And there's like, like this like stat sheet about like homelessness and how you can help. And it's like, I'm 10. (laughs) I don't know what you want from me. (laughs) I don't, as a viewer, I don't know what you're hoping that I get from this. Is this like when we were kids and they had all those ads about sea turtles getting caught in the soda ring? Yes. And panic and you would like cut all of them. Yes. And then you'd be like hoarding them because you didn't want to throw them out because now they look like jellyfish and they might get eaten. Like Right. Static Shock had a lot of like that weird moralizing, but like the demo that was watching it like was not affected by it at all. Um, we're not talking about the book. Hello. Welcome to Unfortunately Required Reading. This week, at some point in time, we will be talking about the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. By yeah. Stevenson. That was a good drink. I highly recommend a Jim Bean vanilla. So, we were joking earlier that we evidently hate ourselves because of the drink choices that we've made for this week. It's not a joke, they're, though. They're eerily similar. Um, I have a shot of Fireball and a Diet Coke. And you have. I, I have a Jim Bean vanilla and some Dr. Pepper. I'm proud of myself. Also, uh, Tori got to read a comment from me where I uh, I needed to refill my antidepressants. So I did like a telemedicine appointment for it. And my tele nurse is like, that's a higher than recommended daily dose for your antidepressants. It's like, You're like thank you. <laughs> like, I'm aware. And I messaged another friend about it. I said, it's like, I know I have a big sad like that's a lot of medicine i have a lot of sad so just write the prescription faster please uh so we're going to talk about dr jekyll and mr hyde a book that uh mm, who reads this because spoiler neither of us read this in school what's interesting about this this book too is we as a culture all know the ending it's kind of like dracula and frankenstein where they are such archetypes now that you mm-hmm. can see them coming a mile away in a, mo- a monster movie or mm-hmm. um, like the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Like you, you know when something's going to happen and it's mm-hmm. going to be Jekyll and Hyde related. Or but that this- horrible uh, mummy movie with Tom Cruise where uh, Russell Crowe is Hyde. Is that where that's from? Because I didn't see yes. that movie. And I okay, so spoiler alert in the uh, blog, I'm, I'm going to include a, a list of like a hundred years of transformations. So me being the a-hole that I am, I like watch the old John Barrymore movie mm-hmm. where he's like transforming and it's silent movie and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I have seeing all these things with like Russell Crowe and I'm like, Russell Crowe is, that's just Russell Crowe naturally. Yeah, so that's from uh, the horrible mummy movie that Tom Cruise was in that no one wanted or asked for. So what I think is interesting is mm-hmm. as far as mummy movies go, they never really do very well except for like the Brendan Fraser one mm-hmm. in the 90s like that one did incredibly well mm-hmm. but as far as like after Universal did the the mummy it was kind of more like a side character 
little bit like Creature from the Black Lagoon. We all know it, but we're not necessarily like, woo, I'm going to go watch that movie. Like, I feel like a lot of the Universal monsters are like that, though, because it's really, really, well, I don't want to say it's hard. It's hard if you're a bad writer to build empathy for the monster. So you have to spend a lot of time with the human cast. And the problem is that that's never meant to be the point. It's one of the reasons why like Phantom of the Opera as a musical is so great. And it's like the only time that I'll really like joke jerk off of Andrew Lloyd Webber is that he made the Phantom interesting and everyone else interesting. Right. He made everyone interesting. So you have empathy for the monster, Eric. You have concern about Christine, even though she's a dumb lamp. Raul's actually kind of hot and is doing his best. You know, everyone matters. So depending on decisions and choices and twists and turns, you really feel invested in the story. But like most monster movies and stories, you're never going to look at them and be like, I really want this to go the other way. Except for like, maybe Frankenstein but again like that's a testament more to Mary Shelley's writing than the monster because then you see other depictions of Frankenstein where he's a fucking idiot or you know doesn't matter because we all spend too much time with Dr. Frankenstein rather than Frankenstein's monster to care about the creature um which is interesting because we've read Frankenstein and we know that you know the monster goes into his whole explanation of what happened to him and his world out there and it's like you don't really ever see that no trade other than just him shambling around going right like we don't get that story ever and it's weird because and i mean bias admitting i think that's a way more interesting story than victor having small dick syndrome well what's interesting is a lot of our portrayals of dracula and frankenstein at least movie wise don't come from the books they come from stage plays that were constructed so frankenstein's stage play ended up being the basis for the movie which is why there's so many differences Mm -hmm. um and then obviously bram stoker worked in the theater so Mm -hmm. there were going to be elements of that regardless for sure it's like people get mad about a disney's hunchback in notre dame but a lot of the elements were lifted from like earlier versions including one that was produced just to make nazis angry interesting yeah, there was like a really, really early, um, the first con music um, movie festival, there was a screening of Hunchback Notre Dame because the director was Jewish and really liked the idea of telling like a Romani story. I mean, they did it wrong because like in the book, Esmeralda is secretly white, but we don't have time for that. <laughs> we don't have time for that. Um, so yeah, like it was made out of rebellion. So a lot of like the motifs taken from that or in the Disney movie, and, like, everyone gets mad at the Disney movie for, like, bastardizing the story. Like, not really. It's taken from that and La Esmeralda, which is a sequel written by Victor Hugo, because he was a capitalist, and he wanted money. I mean, yeah, that's that's why writers tend to uh, sell their books. Right, like, well, okay, Victor Hugo was, like, uniquely capitalistic. Like, he, he spent his first advance through Hunchback of Notre Dame, like, before the book was even written, and then he tried to double-sell the rights. Uh-huh. So, like, he was uniquely, like, bad. We're not talking about uh, Jekyll and Hyde. Do you want me to go into the short story long? Yeah, uh, we're still doing, like, uh, House's Choice, because, again, like, it's hard to tell Tori to make elaborate cocktails for one. Uh, we will probably be back on track uh, next time we record, though, because it'll be our spooky special. Yay, spooky special! 
All right, we can uh, we can short story long. Okay, so y'all won't know how this ends, but very few of you know how it begins. Each week, a lawyer named Mr. Utterson and his friend Enfield take a walk. One week, Enfield is like, did you hear about this case where some dude named Mr. Hyde trampled a young girl to death and then disappeared into a door on the street? And then he came out with a check to pay off for relatives, but it was signed by some other rich dude? Oh, but we hate gossip, so let's not talk about this anymore. What? What? But Mr. Utterson... Gossip. Mr. Utterson has a client and a close friend named jo Dr. Jekyll who's planning to transfer all of his money to a Mr. Hyde, so obviously he's a little nervous. Mm -hmm. Utterson starts to have nightmares about a faceless monster stalking London. Side note, this London is not described anything like London, but we'll go on that in a little bit later. Mm -hmm. Utterson goes to hang out with Jekyll and their friend Dr. Lanyon. Dr. Lanyon is like, so Jekyll and I don't actually talk a whole lot anymore since they had a fight over an unscientific uns balderdash, which I think is like the best quote. What's it's, weirder it's good. is Hyde visits Jekyll through the back door of an outbuilding, which is a laboratory attached to Jekyll's home, which gets even cooler because that lab is also like a surgery theater. Mm -hmm. So when you, um, you're getting descriptions of it, it's very, it gives you all these feels of like cadavers and, um, Burke and hair feelings but that we'll go into that also mm -hmm. um utterson is like dude the guy who's showing up has got to be hyde he takes officers to hyde's place and there's this weird energy oh sorry let me go ahead go back a little bit um so utterson sees hyde and he tells readers that this guy is ugly as hell and he's mm -hmm. deformed but you can't see any actual deformity there's just something super off about him and jekyll is like yeah you know what just forget about Mr. Hyde. It's really not that big of a deal. Don't don't trouble yourself. So a year goes by. Very little happens in town other than just normal life. And one night, a servant girl sees Hyde beat an old man named Sir Danvers Carew to death. Carew is a member of Parliament and Utterson's client, so the police come to talk to Utterson. Utterson is like, I'm pretty sure that the murderer is this guy named Hyde. So he takes the officers. They go over. They go to Hyde's place. And there's this weird energy and it's super dark and foggy and atmospheric, but Hyde isn't there. So the search seems pointless. Utterson goes back to Jekyll and Jekyll is like, oh, don't worry, don't worry. Um, Hyde and I don't see each other anymore. You know, that's done. And Jekyllson hands Utterson a note that Hyde wrote apologizing for the trouble and saying that he's, he's cool now. And Utterson is like, uh, Jekyll, isn't that just your handwriting? So for a few months, Jekyll is super social and nice to his friends. He's acting like he doesn't have a care in the world. And then suddenly he has having no visitors anymore. Lanyon dies due to some sort of shock he got from visiting Jekyll. But Lanyon gives Utterson a letter saying, open this after I die. I don't know what it is with letters. Anyway, <laughs> Utterson is out on his walk with Enfield and he sees Jekyll at the window of his lab and they start talking. Um, Jekyll gets this weird freaked out look, slams the window, and just disappears. Mr. Poole, Jekyll's butler, comes to Utterson in a panic. He says, so Jekyll's been hiding out in his lab for a while, and uh, now there's a weird voice coming from the door, but it's not Jekyll, and we're freaking out because he won't let us in. So Utterson comes to Jekyll's house, and after arguing, they break into the lab, and inside they find Hyde wearing Jekyll's clothes, and he's dead from suicide. Mm -hmm. There's a suicide note that explains everything to Utterson, and now we get the big reveal that everybody knows. Utterson reads Lanyon's letter first, and it says that Lanyon was so shocked at seeing Mr. Hyde drink the potion and turn back into Dr. Jekyll that it shook him to the core. 
The second letter is from Jekyll giving us a breakdown. Jekyll has been looking for a way to break from his good side um, so that he can explore his darker impulses and be able to, you know, keep his good reputation. Mm-hmm. He figured out how to release his bad side in the form of a conscience-free monster named Mr. Hyde. For a while, this is badass because he can do shitty things in complete freedom. But the problem mm-hmm. is he's turning into Hyde in his sleep. So he's like, no more trips for me. But the urge hits him too strongly and he can't really stop. So he transforms. And then that's when he kills Sir Danvers Carew. He freaks out and tries to stop the transformations. One day he's wide awake at the park without any, you know, attempts. He transforms against his will. He mm-hmm. goes to Lanyon in his hide, asks for help to get potions to become Jekyll again. The transformation is the one that he's talking about where Lanyon freaked out so bad that he got sick and then eventually died. Mm-hmm. So uh, Jekyll is taking more and more potions to reverse the issues. When Enfield and Ederson saw him, they slammed the window shut because he was starting to transform and he didn't want them to see him. The potion runs out and the key ingredient is nowhere to be found. Jekyll states in his letter he could feel Hyde becoming permanent and he doesn't know whether Jekyll or Hyde would be the one to face execution for his crime. So instead, he kills himself. Yeah, uh, that's a dramatic story. Super. Yeah, it's it's remarkably dramatic, honestly. Um, I read this book as a kid, secondary spoiler, and I liked it too much. Like, I get a little nervous about seeing baby amanda get a copy of this book just be like yes this is this is what i will base my life on now i mean no i didn't try to base my life on it but like i it's like do you remember those like abridged like children's stories there was like a million of them i really liked this one and i really really liked uh the hunchback in notre dame which again is not a book that children need to be reading even abridged even abridged for children this is not a book children need to be reading um I just always really liked this story. Um, the alchemist in me now uh, would love to tinker away at what the potion was. Because it has to be something psychoactive and psychotropic. So. I feel I like would... it's the reverse of Xanax. So ketamine? <laughs> He's just doing poppers like in a bathroom is what you're saying. <laughs> He's taking a large dose of Molly and now he's going to go out. And, right. Uh, he's just doing MDMA. Right. Like he's just out. Like he's doing club drugs is what you're saying. It's the opposite of Xanax. Okay. You mean ecstasy. Cool. Is this like the next season of Skins in the UK? Yeah. Like, is <laughs> he just Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is a club kid. Right. Is he just doing fucking poppers like in bathrooms and just hanging out? Like, I don't know. I mean... Because it has to be something that's psychotropic and psychoactive. It has to lower inhibition. And then it also has to, like, cause temporary memory loss. So lowers inhibitions, psychotropic, psychoactive. It's definitely an upper. So it's not alcohol. It's not alcohol. It wouldn't be cocaine because, like, that wasn't a mystery back then. Unless he's just, like, adding shit to cocaine. <laughs> he's just, like, pe- heroin. <laughs> Do you think, okay, you know what a suicide is, right? Like, in, like, drinks? Yeah. Okay, for listeners who don't know, uh, back in ye old 90s when you were a kid and you had, like, a drink fountain, 
the best thing that you could do was called suicide, where you do like a shot of like each drink and you put it all together. Uh, my favorite was doing them at Chuck E. Cheese because Chuck E. Cheese had a uh, mellow yellow and pib. You just like fuck shit up. Um, is he just like doing like a suicide of like all of the known drugs, like a little bit of opium, a little bit of cocaine, some laudanum? But all those are all most together. of those are downers though. Like, was there just like a splash of cocaine for effect? I don't. Oh, totally. Oh, angel dust. Where the fuck is he getting angel dust? Who's his dealer? Suddenly he's able to lift a car that doesn't exist yet. Right. How is, how is he eating PCP? Where is he getting? James O'Barr is the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. This is where uh, we reveal that uh, we know too much. Did I, did I tell you about the Brecast incident where Mail uh, revealed some of his past? Mm-mm. So there was um so Sophie the Magpie the Brecast. Um I don't know how we got on this topic, but like male casually said, Oh yeah, like because we wouldn't be doing poppers or anything. And it's like, you know what poppers are? It's like, sir, sir, <laughs> you have some explaining to do because he's like, you know, as we know him now, he's this wholesome nerd who takes care of an ethereal magpie. But apparently male has had some experiences. I mean, isn't that just part of living in the UK? Is have is being a quiet nerd who has an ethereal magpie, but then also like d- club drugs. Yeah, that sounds about right for the UK. So, there's a lot of themes and a lot of symbols of this, and I think that's why it ends up being so big. One of the things I want to talk about is the fact that the story is set in London, but it's clearly not set in London. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to butcher it, and I should know how to say it, Edinburgh. Um, there we go. It's not Edinburgh. Please don't say that. It hurts me so much to my core. I'm including a pronunciation video from, um, I think her name is like Wee Scottish Girl or something. So, yes. The way that Edinburgh was set up is that, and a lot of things got built on top of each other, which is why we mm-hmm. have um, different closes and stuff like that, where you can still go down and and hang out where people used to live, and there's still places that still have furniture and and the like in their homes that they got built over mm-hmm. but when they built the original city everything was really 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 close together um to the point where like there have areas that are infamous for being like only one person can walk through at a time mm-hmm. like it's very very tight very um and, th- and that was where you lived because you had no other choice basically mm-hmm. what it was and they built up and built up and built up Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that had to do with the fact of how the city was walled. And so, you know, to kind of keep in the protection of the castle, you were all in one area. Mm-hmm. Well, about Stevenson's time, they started to expand that out. So it was no longer that big of a deal. Like you didn't have to worry about feudal lords anymore. Mm-hmm. So you had all these built things that are built in the Georgian style on the other side of town. And that expanded out. And these are homes are light and airy is, is not really necessarily what we're talking about it's not like Texas where you have a house and then four acres. They're mm-hmm. still relatively close together, but they're these sandstone buildings and they're, um, they have like little courtyards and stuff like that. And so there'll be a, a couple townhomes together. So he grew up, like when he, he was a young kid, they moved into one of these really nice houses, but those houses looked over the old city. So if you were poor or um, you weren't quite middle-class enough to get to the nicer part of town, the Georgian part of town, 
you lived in these really dank, close areas. And that's kind of like where the capitals and stuff is. So we're Mirkit Cross and stuff like that are. Um, so it's a city that's very divided as far as style wise. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of what Stevenson talks about when he's walking around and, you know, when Utterson's taking his walks and things like that, or the places that places hide goes and like that, where it's very, you know, misty and dark and creepy. Well, yeah, it's going to be misty and dark and creepy because you're not getting as much light in as the other areas. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting if you ever take a tour out there and you're in a bus or anything like that, they'll drive you through and you can get this. It's very, it's very, very different. It's a totally different feeling in each area. So Stevenson, when he was growing up, was sick a lot. We'll go into that a little bit later. But he would spend a lot of time upstairs in his attic room kind of looking out. And so he could mm -hmm. see the other parts of the city. So the descriptions he's talking about, if you try to map them over London, good luck. Because you're not going to really see that. But if you've been to Edinburgh and you know how things are laid out and you've spent a lot of time there, you definitely get the feeling that what he's describing is his hometown. Mm -hmm. And I, I find that so fascinating. It's kind of like we had with Shakespeare, where it's like, we're going to write about Denmark, but clearly this is England. I also wonder a little bit if it's um, almost like more of a shorthand issue. So like for me, um, longtime listeners of this podcast know that I'm from North Texas. Um, I will almost never say the specific city I'm from, just because no one knows it. It's easier for me to say that I'm from the next large city. So I also wonder if it's just like a shorthand scenario where like, oh, well, it's a great work you said in London. And like, you still keep all the edifice of, you know, your hometown or whatever, but you just say it somewhere else. Because I don't, I don't think he's trying to make a grand statement in this book. Uh, shocking. I, I really don't. I think he just wanted to write a book. And I wonder if this is just one of those situations where it was just an easier bit of cultural shorthand so for, in this particular case it was because it was easier to market the book if it was set right because um, yeah like no one's going to read a book and no one's going to read a book from edinburgh um also I uh them, if i have to i know if i have to praise aaron Menke, um his episode on burke and hair does a great job of describing um this setup in cities and in houses in a way that I think is fantastic because I have never been there. So it all sounds weird to me. Um, so if I, I think I'm allowed to praise Aaron Mankey like once per episode and then I get to talk shit about him later. Um, his Birkin hair episode does a great job of like setting that tone in that uh, setting for you. So that when he later describes how ghastly these murders are, you understand like why because of like proximity and closeness and right. houses and gentrification and stridation. And that's one of those really interesting things, too, is when you do go out there, Greyfriars Cemetery is like smack dab in the middle of town. Mm -hmm. So you can be having a cup of coffee overlooking the cemetery. Mm -hmm. You walk by it when you're going to a pub. I mean, it's it looks so much smaller on the outside because it's in the middle of town. And we mm -hmm. there's a little bit of that like in Los Angeles, too, with like Hollywood Forever and that. But mm -hmm you don't necessarily get an idea of the scope of things because it's in the middle of the city. Also, mm -hmm. they do a lot of tours and stuff too. And most of the time they're, they're ghost tours and they're designed to be spooky and creepy and like make you get the willies. But 
they will take you down into the like the old city areas what's crazy a lot of times though i went years and years and years ago um but you'll be down in these rooms and they're just super uncomfortable there are these little alcoves and stuff and that's where um after those areas fell out of fashion or would be boarded up or things like that mm -hmm. people would go in there to gamble um they would go in there to prostitution and, and that's something mm -hmm. that like Hyde is kind of described as, as like looking at those darker sides of the city mm -hmm. so those areas are really uncomfortable and cold and creepy and when mm -hmm. you're down there a lot of times especially if you're on a ghost tour they'll be like this alcove is haunted by so-and-so and he hates women and he'll pull your hair and you're like oh I gotta get out of this alcove that you just put us in like um but I mean even if you don't have that aspect of that you're on a ghost tour it's creepy mm -hmm. it's uncomfortable you get a really strong sense of people being right on top of each other and we at least in 2020 know a lot about this with quarantine of being in the same house with other people or i mean there's some cases more isolation but it's which we'll also get with you know jekyll holding himself off his hide but it's that weird we're all on top of each other we all know each other's business this is super uncomfortable kind of situation Mm-hmm. And obviously Mankey is more eloquent because he edits more, but he's also more eloquent just because he has time and researchers and people who get paid to do this rather than us who do this for fun and are going off of a cool trip you took one time. <laughs> like I like there's a huge difference between like the blog post I read about me going to Castle New Swanstein than me describing verbally me going to Castle New Swanstein because if I talk about it verbally I mostly just talk about uh faffing around and then uh at Leanderhof getting attacked by a swan. Swan attacks are very serious friend. You can't touch them because they're all descendants of King Ludwig's original swans. So I'm they can pause this real yes. quick, okay? Okay, so back to swans attacking you. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you just can't touch them because they're original. They're like they're descendants of the original swans that King Ludwig imported, so they can fuck with you, and they know they can fuck with you, and you just have to let them. It's sort of like um, how all of the swans, or most of the swans in England, are under the queen's dominion. Like, she owns most of the swans. There are a few that are not owned by her, but at any point in time, she can conscript them. I did not know that. Yeah. These are things Amanda knows. So, like, you have to have, like, a license to have swans that aren't the queens. Does she have, like, a swan army? Yeah, she does, basically. Are we going to train them to fight the Americans? Is that, like, how this works? No. They're just... She doesn't have dominion over the ravens, but she does have dominion over the swans. And there are swans that like live in an abbey in England that basically like, these are our swans, but at any point in time, if the queen's like, I want that swan, we have to like give it up. Like this is now the queen's swan. Cause that's, you know, what she's doing. This is, this is my swan now. Also I'm taking this vehicle. like. Yeah, it's like, this is my bird now. Because it is. Uh, piggybacking off of our uh, much enjoyment that they let uh, they let Charles go on a little trip. Poor Charles. 
They let him yeah. go on a little trip to the Tower as, of London. And as you pointed out, they also identified Camilla as a human being. They treated Camilla like a person. Which is surprising. They usually don't. Not that I'm saying Camilla shouldn't be treated like a person. No, I think Camilla is, Camilla is doing the best under the circumstances. Like, she, I think she's a very decent human being. I think she's doing the absolute best that she can under the given circumstances. If I was a monarch, and I am not, I would not want to go to the Tower of London even ironically. I think is interesting, too, is because the Queen is head of Church of England, too. Yes. Um, she couldn't go to Charles' second wedding with Camilla. She showed up for the reception, but she couldn't mm-hmm. go to the wedding mm-hmm. because it was considered to be in poor taste mm-hmm. to have somebody who was participating in your religion but getting married else or a second time. Mm-hmm. There's, and I'm like, that's really uncomfortable. It's also remarkably petty because, like, real talk, she is the Queen. She can do whatever the fuck she wants. I think a lot of it, and, and this is not a defense of the queen at all, but just from from what I've read, she's very serious about the fact that she is the constitution. Like she knows mm-hmm. all the ins and outs and stuff. It's not like the U.S. Constitution where it's a document and then we update it from time to time. We're talking like tons of law books and information and random mm-hmm. stuff. And it's like, okay, but well what about this? What about this? What about this? And I feel like more people could be responsible for that knowledge and that mm-hmm. I don't think she's the only one who knows it all but I from what I understand she takes it very seriously she does I think the problem with that is is again like she has time to do that because she's a figurehead like she's not really doing anything so she has time to be persnickety about that stuff um I mean, I have no official opinion about the queen because I'm an American and uh, we have a air quotes democracy. Well, we'll see November 3rd. Yes. Uh, We have an air quotes democracy. Um, Speaking of November 3rd, let's discuss evil as the real deformity. So I always find this one really, really interesting because depending on uh, the version of the book you have or like whatever like movie or adaptation you're reading Hyde isn't always monstrous he's actually sometimes really hot really yes like that's your hot Hyde what did you call me like it just it depends on the adaptation and the story but like depending on like there are varying levels of how monstrously he's described And I think that that's intentional because there is also meant to be a seduction to his evil because if it wasn't fun, you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't take a fistful of ketamine and go fuck off to be evil if it wasn't also fun. I'm assuming it's ketamine, right? Like we're just, we're just going to go and assume that it's ketamine. I mean, I don't know where the fuck he's getting ketamine, but we're just going to assume it's ketamine. Maybe he has vet friends. I don't know. Well, no, they wouldn't have been able to synthesize ketamine at least until the Germans started doing it in World War II. So just, I don't know what magic he's using that he was able to synthesize it beforehand. Maybe he's just licking like a special form of moss and that's why you can't find it anymore. (laughs) Right, it's just like, there's like some random toad that he's just like licking the back of or something. Um... 
but yeah, like it's it's really really interesting because there's there the more classic versions that it's really really that he's really really monstrous and he's ugly and unattractive and that's meant to be like a mark of his evil because evil isn't meant to be attractive and then there's other stories where he's not at all and it echoes back more to that idea that evil is seductive and hot and fun which i think is way more interesting because again like if if hyde wasn't having some if, if jekyll wasn't having some kind of fun as hyde he wouldn't do it what like, i think is interesting is there's that line about um how oh god no i just completely forgot that's how my brain is working right now but just about how that he's when that guy sees hyde he sees him and he's like he's deformed somehow but i can't figure out how right there's nothing obvious about it but the way that he's like the way that he is there's just something wrong right like there's there's an air of him that's not quite right and that makes more sense and I think that, like, that's a part of the story that I always wish they went into a little bit more, is I think it's easy to scapegoat Hyde because you're meant to, but there has to be some culpability on Jekyll, because no one made him do this. He wasn't, like, tied to a chair and, like, force-fed this magic toad water. Like, he's seeking this out. He's looking for this. He's doing this. And then when he gets in over his head, it's like, oh no. You know? <laughs> like I I think that's a really, really like shitty take. And again, I have like hundreds of years of hindsight. I'm not saying like anything besmirching on text. I just think it's more interesting to think about what drives a man to do this. And I don't think the book as writ goes enough into that. Right. I'm way more interested in what leads a man to want to do this shit basically i want this written by oscar wilde whose birthday was recently i think it was yesterday i don't know somebody told me that while we were sitting in our I'm office googling it. don't so, worry i'm googling it one of the interesting things about the story too is the concept it was yesterday of, yeah yay happy late birthday oscar he i um, hope he can't hear us i mean i hope he can't hear us either <laughs> otherwise that whole discussion we had about him like a few several like two years ago episodes yes. back yeah we're we're almost going into our third year of recording y'all how weird is that is anyway. it a third or second so we're almost hitting our second anniversary okay so i was like what the f- okay um <laughs> my brain didn't know how to do time for a minute uh so jekyll is very concerned his reputation that makes sense for England, <laughs> where there is a lot of concern about that. Yeah, especially with the, I want to do these bad things, but I can't have anyone see me doing these bad things. Mm-hmm. This is true. Wouldn't this also be technically set Victorian? Um... It would help if I remember the exact date that this book was published. But it, it was, was like published in 1886. So that would have been, I think we were closing out the Georgian period and we were closing out the Regency. Well, Regency. No, what am I doing here? No, that's not it. 1886 is Victorian. Okay. I Googled it. Sorry. <laughs> so he grew up in more the Georgian time going into Victorian. but Yeah, but like the setting would be 
so okay so yeah like a man's reputation means a lot uh there's this whole uh victorian modesty and purity that was really being enforced even though they partied like the best of them including queen victoria um so i I guess like that's one of the reasons like reputation makes so much sense and matters so much it's also kind of dumb because he's a doctor and can do whatever the fuck he wants also in all fairness though becoming a doctor back then not that hard not that hard very gross but not that hard yeah hey so we don't have any bodies that are willingly donated so we're gonna go dig some up just kidding we're gonna pay some poor people to go dig them up Mm -hmm. or we're gonna take this person who's recently been executed because they can't say no Mm -hmm. did they commit the crime doesn't matter we got a corpse friends Mm -hmm. uh I do love that there's a lot of references to like him being a medical doctor, but it never really goes deep enough. But again, like this is me in hindsight, uh, because I have a thing for that. <laughs> I like surgical theaters. Have you read The Butchering Art? Mm-mm. It's on my it's, list to read. It's very, very good. Um, actually, that author just did another book um, about books bound in human skin. Is that the one that's like the dark library or something mm-hmm. like that? It's just coming out? Yep. I got that on my wish list too. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited about that one. Oh. Medicine back in those days was equal parts uh, spectacle and then gruesome cabal. And then also a uh, strange arcane magic that you only do uh, in the dark of the night. It's weird because there was a lot of like open surgeries done on mostly corpses on mostly executed corpses and then the occasional public surgery of like we're going to remove a tooth because we can um or we're going to do an amputation anesthesia cleanliness not a thing no not a thing at all um galvani was doing stuff uh during this time which was fascinating mostly just because i love talking about galvanism because i'm a nerd who lets me exist um you use that magic friend you know what one of my friends said that um if they were ever on a cash cab or uh, who wants to be a millionaire that i would be like their lifeline call it's like that's a good one because i would probably have an answer for you um the idea of medicine being public but also like bad is interesting because you can actually you could go and like pay to see a surgery not you as in like us back then because i'm a black queer and Tori's a woman so like we couldn't go yeah there that wouldn't be allowed in (laughs) right but like if we were men we could go well Tori could go I'm still black Um, (laughs) I'm still black I still couldn't have gone like you could go see a surgery or a articulation of a body but like even though it was public it was weird (laughs) sort of like how we can go to the funeral museum and it's public but it also makes us weird yeah it's it's there's a very interesting kind of surgery and medical care and stuff like that was something you had to do it wasn't something that you necessarily wanted to be involved in Mm -hmm. um death was a little bit more at your door every day, you know, mm-hmm. we're more likely to see infant mortality, we're likely to have somebody laid out in home. Mm-hmm. 
more likely to die younger. So it's, death was not as far away as it is for us today where we're just like, here, funeral home, you take care of this. Um, yeah. Funeral homes were not really a thing, but well, they were a thing, but they weren't really doing a lot. Yeah, it was more, we've made you this coffin. Um, I'll go ahead and make sure that all of your certificates are signed. Mm-hmm. Here's the spot in cemetery. Have a great day. Like, Yes. So here's this spot that may or may not be yours. Enjoy. So I did promise y'all some true crime in this episode. Mm-hmm. And as a concept of following un- under reputation. So there is a belief that a lot of this story was taken from the story of Deacon Brody mm-hmm. to the point that when you are walking around downtown, um, there was, a, well, at least in 2003, there was a pub that had this story paced or like muralized on the outside of a pub. There are pubs named after Deacon Brody. Um, I don't know if they're still there. I haven't been there in like 10 years, but as far as William Brody's story, he was a local deacon, thus Deacon Brody, and he was in charge of a trade guild. He was a cabinet maker, city counselor, but he also at night would break into homes for fun, steal stuff, mm-hmm. because as a cabinet maker, he also had the ability to make keys. So he would wake, make wax model keys, break into people's homes, steal mm-hmm. their items, and no one was the wiser because he could just fade out. He was a really good locksmith for the wealthy. So again, he knew who had the best stuff and who was not going to be home at night. But he also had a huge gambling problem. Five kids with two mistresses and both of his mistresses didn't know about each other, which I think is fascinating. So during the daytime, he had this whole, look at me, I'm a pillar of society. I'm a city counselor. You know, I can do all of these things and you should all look up to me. And then at night he was doing shitty stuff. So he ended up being part of a guild of thieves, which I think is fascinating. And one night, a robbery they were doing went really, really wrong. He escaped, but the other two guys went to jail. He ended up going to the jail to see if they had told anything. And he was refused entry because they're like, no, you don't need to go talk to these guys, Um, Mr. Brody. You are too high class to be talking to these people. So he knew he was screwed and he was going to get in trouble. So he packed up his stuff, bailed to Europe. He ended up getting arrested in Amsterdam, and then he was Mm -hmm. returned to Scotland for execution and trial. And there was a lot of evidence against him, mostly because they had found in his collection, you know, models of keys, Mm -hmm. wax pressings, things that he could use to break in, and, you know, items that didn't belong to him. Um, But what was really crazy is he, you know, went to trial, was found guilty, Mm -hmm. He was going to be executed and he thought he was going to get away with it so we put a metal collar on under his clothes but all that ended up doing was increasing the amount of time it took him to die so his neck didn't snap when it went down true but it wasn't like the mummy with brendan fraser where somebody was going to shoot off the rope and he was going to be able to run free he so he just dangled there while his like that whole area in the back i want to say it's like the it's like the something of axis of atlas or something he had to wait for basically his spine to separate from his brain till he died so he's kind of a local like folk hero now mm-hmm. was um again lots of pubs named after him there's a very famous song after him and then mm-hmm. there's the whole belief that he could also be part of the inspiration for jekyll and hyde uh fun fact during that scene in the mummy uh brendan fraser actually got a little bit uh hanged and passed out I believe that 
yeah like he actually got like really like kind of fucked up and hurt doing that uh because it's a hard scene to do (laughs) i don't know why i have this information who was doing this um so we need to go back and talk a little bit about like evil and good like as a singular duality and not being like a mix um the idea that all of your evil can be like in one place is um wrong it's not like a boil you can just excise like all of your evil like isn't in one place um but it's also very very old um there was a lot of talk about that like with the model with the humors and even like an old tutor medicine where like oh the presence of moles and imperfections like oh that's the evil it's like okay sure i guess um basically just allowed people to discriminate against those with physical deformities or mental illness because it was an idea that those were manifestations of evil. Um, Again, to echo the point made earlier, there has to be some evil already in Jekyll to want to tap in to the evil and hide. But we don't get there because like, it's meant to be more of a tragic moral than anything else. Yeah. Um because there's clearly some darkness in the good doctor for him to want to do this again like no one's tying him down and making him do this like he's no, he's no one's guinea pig but his own so the the idea goes back very very far really we don't start seeing evil and good dualism as a balance to each other until much, much later, um, it's one of those things that China had figured out with yin and yang, uh, which is a vast oversimplification. But we didn't start seeing that in the West until much, much later of just, you obviously are going to have both in a person. Like there is no person that's purely good and purely bad. Like there's not like an evil id inside of you. It doesn't exist. Well, it's like the um, whole concept, you know, you be black and white and gray areas. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to concepts of like good and evil and that which mm-hmm. is fascinating to me because like you're saying there's really it's really more of a gray area for the most things so there are also certain beliefs and customs and things that are inherently evil but we think of them as good because we haven't had that portion questioned yet right or it hasn't been our social experience yet right and we're seeing a lot of that right now as we unpack racist systems in our country, especially in our legal system. There are, you know, aspects where somebody goes, oh, you know, that judge is amazing. You know, they've, they've done great work. And then you look at two cases that are almost identical, two different skin colors, two different punishments. Mm-hmm. One obviously being way more lenient than the other. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily cross over into the mind as, oh, I'm being evil. It's like, no, I'm being punitive because I am the law, so therefore good. Mm-hmm. But then the question is, who gets to be the one who determines what's good and evil? Right. And that's always the problem with that stuff. Is that as long as man is making the rules, there is no such thing. Um, this is also a book that is wonderfully tantalized but also very afraid of science and medicine realistically like i'm finding out most people still are um i never understood that i'm someone who uh when my parents were diagnosed with chronic illnesses i learned more about medicine because that helped me understand what was going on 
I never saw medicine as scary. I wanted to know more because I wanted to figure out what was going on. But as we're watching with this pandemic unfold, I had assumed that a lot of that thought had really died out of being like anti-medicine and like, you know, anti-vaxxers were like a small fringe minority. They're, they are, but they're very loud. And, and they have a lot of platforms now where they can reach their message out to the world. Yeah. And their rhetoric to, I don't like making this an intelligence thing because I don't think at the core of it is, but for people who are less likely to question, less inquisitive folks, it's very tantalizing rhetoric. Um, And it's also very tantalizing to have somebody explain everything to you Mm -hmm. so that you don't have to do the research or spend the time. Right. Um, I get why it's easy to characterize medicine and science as scary because oftentimes it is kind of crossing into this, well, this is God's territory sort of thing. Um, And I definitely get why during this time it was scary and weird. But we're seeing that again a little bit as we probably talked about a lot more in Frankenstein where medicine and doctors and people who do this stuff in science like it's all still kind of a magic-y we're not sure if you're good or bad or not the jury's still out we're not sure if you're good or bad and i mean just even it changes like we have we have a very strange concept too of medicine where we believe that you know there are only certain people who can tell you something that's wrong Mm -hmm. you know and there's a lot of difficulty, at least in the United States, too, about our for-profit healthcare system. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, rather than get maybe the support that they need or the help that they need, mm-hmm. end up just hiding away for a long time until it gets to the point where they can no longer ignore it mm-hmm. or it's something that should have been easy to address and take care of. Mm-hmm. But just there's the belief that you can't. Mm-hmm. step forward yeah i was really really shocked by like how anti-medicine we still are as a country because like it's like i really thought that like that had kind of died out apparently i was wrong <laughs> apparently i was very wrong i mean i think we we all were i don't think anyone was expecting us to come forward and say or hear people say hey you know wear a mask it's going to reduce your transmission effects by this amount and you know mm-hmm. you really take care of your neighbors and yourself to have people be like i wear no mask like what nine out of ten would not have expected that to be the battle cry that we see today right you can't make me wear a mask into this mcdonald's so you would rather risk getting sick even even though all that you're being asked to do is wear a small cloth mask yeah yeah i don't know it blows my mind i'm tired it blows my mind too it blows (laughs) my mind too uh i'll go ahead and say it again uh my family was involved in the tuskegee syphilis study uh thank you government for our money even though it doesn't make up for the damage you've caused um I listen to doctors and I listen to experts and I trust physicians. 
none of you fuckers have any excuse. I'm sorry. Like if I can, like if me and my family can be descendants of the Tuskegee syphilis study and still listen to doctors and still listen to experts and still get vaccines, I want to hear nothing from any of you. Nothing. I will not accept it at all. Um, fun fact, masks do make my asthma worse. I still wear one. It's not an excuse. My discomfort is not an excuse to put others in danger. Or myself in danger, frankly. Because, like, that was the thing. I don't even need to think about it from an altruistic standpoint. I don't want to die. It's a benefit that the lady at Chick-fil-A also doesn't die. <laughs> but uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves. So I've been, poking, I've been poking at this. Is that there is a seductive quality to evil, clearly. Because otherwise, Jekyll wouldn't keep doing this. Because he's doing this for a bit. Like, this isn't like, you know, a weekend Big Lebowski thing. Like, he's doing this for a while. So he's clearly getting something out of it. What he's getting... hmm? And really, he only stops because he loses that control to be able to keep the breakdown between the two. Like, it's when he starts transforming in his sleep or transforming in a public park that he's Mm -hmm. like, oh, there might be something wrong with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like when it becomes of that's all consuming that he can't control, which sure, I think that's a I think that's a bit of a stretch, but whatever. He the evil gets stronger. So there has to be something that he's getting out of it. I do wish that was explored more, but that's what fan fiction's for. That's why fan, fan fiction, fiction exists. Modern movies. Yes. But um, it has to be fun, even though it is a little bit scary. Like, I know um, there is always, like, okay, so especially when you live on your own as an adult for, like, the first time, and you do, like, the one thing your parents never let you, even though you're, like, old, it still feels like a huge rebellion, and it feels great. (laughs) But it's also, like, having that much freedom to, like, not give a fig is also really scary sometimes. Like, when you can just say, you know what? Yeah, I am going to do club drugs in this sketchy bathroom. Or that joke about, is a very innocent one. My mom wouldn't let me eat a whole cake by myself. Oh, I ate a whole cake by myself. This is probably not a good idea. Like, right. But it's that, like, first time. Yeah, I'm going to eat all the buttercream, and what are you going to do about it? Right. And then it has consequences, and it's bad. And like, oh, shit, I shouldn't have done that. Um. I think that's an interesting motif uh, to go into. Uh, we don't get enough of it in this book, but again, that's why uh, fan fiction exists. <laughs> Sorry, I have a small cat at my feet right now. Well, he's not exactly small. He Is he? He's not small. He came up to me earlier and he started tapping me on the back with his paw mm-hmm. because he wanted me to pet him. And I was like, who is in this room? But now he's at my feet. He wants you to stay there? Yeah. He's like, hey, I'm not allowed to move. You want to talk about who uh, may have been the other inspiration to the story and is the father of modern dentistry? Sure. You know a little bit more about horse wells than I do. I know too much about horse wells. <laughs> <laughs> I know too much about horse wells. So horse wells is the father of modern dentistry. 
Um, he perfected a lot of techniques as far as like tooth removal because real talk up until Horace Wells dentistry like didn't exist. <laughs> like sure. You could have a tooth pulled by like some barber surgeon with his like rusty tools and like a swig of whiskey and it'd probably get infected and you'd probably lose more teeth and nothing mattered. But Horace Wells really perfected minimizing blood loss and sterilizing and cleaning tools to the best visibility. When we say he's the father of modern dentistry, he is. He also was very, very obsessed with taking pain away during dental procedures because he knew how badly that affected recovery and such like that. So he started experimenting with a bunch of different chemicals, one of them being chloroform. (laughs) So he would place a rag with chloroform over his patient's face before a procedure he pulled the tooth and then, you know, let them come to And it's like, oh, that was a painless procedure. Well, for when Horace Wells was doing all this stuff, there were really no, like, double-blind studies or tests. He did a lot of testing on himself. So there's many, many nights where he is just doped out of his mind on chloroform. <laughs> During several of these incidences, uh, he would just ramble through the streets, walk around, say crazy shit and just be weird and for the most part people just kind of let him because like greater good like oh there's the doctor he's trying his best also he was a man and men could get away with anything uh that was until because of okay let's be real don't use chloroform for an extended period of time it will fuck with your brain he started having like delusions and hallucinations Eventually, it ruined his marriage, and he got really, really addicted to it. And one night, while he was high out of his mind, uh, he thought someone was chasing him, and he threw acid on a woman. Yeah. Yeah, he threw, like, sulfuric acid on a lady and, like, blinded and disfigured her. Uh, He was arrested. 99% sure he was... uh, charged with that i don't think he was executed but like he'd like died in disgrace um but that story of like the doctor self-experimenting that also was a really really big motif and is a fascinating uh, litmus test in case study for jekyll and hyde there was a really really good dark matters episode about horace wells we still mostly think of him as a good person because thank you for telling dentists you should probably numb out your patients before surgery but it's more of a tragic story that he eventually just became like a crackhead. So this is actually how he died. Mm-hmm. Um, when he realized what he had done, you know, he asked the guards that had arrested him to escort him to his house to pick up his shaving kit. He committed suicide in his cell on January 24th, flooding his left femoral artery with a razor after inhaling an analgesic dose of chloroform. He's buried ah, okay. in Hartford, Connecticut. So I was ah. right, and then he was not executed. But he did die. Which actually ties back even better into Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde since he killed himself. And this actually all would have really happened around the time that book would have been written. So I've always felt like this to be the more interesting possible inspiration to just because you have like the self-experimentation, the suicide, the like secretly having way too much fun because uh I was going to say chloroform is a gas, like it's fun, but like that felt like, <laughs> that that felt uh, trite even for me. I don't know. Have you watched The Haunting of Bly Manor yet? I have not. I don't, Owen's I don't do horror. Bad. 
it's there are like two jump scares the entire show it's mm-hmm. more emotional horror mm-hmm. than it is anything scary yeah like, that american audiences don't do well with it because it's like, I the whole no it's more it's designed to be atmospheric it's designed to be more of like a literature based thing than it is yeah like, jump scares getting stabbed having your intestines all spill out you know that i like those stories more tbh but they also affect me more yes so i don't watch them it was it's it's pretty emotionally traumatic a couple times where you're just like mm-hmm. oh well that's absolutely terrible i'm just gonna sit here and finish drinking this glass of wine and cry into it but mm-hmm. <sighs> Should we so fun this? fact you can oh. actually visit uh you can visit horace wells's uh statues in connecticut because oh. he is still like the father of modern dentistry even though like he did a bad thing <laughs> even though he did a bad thing that one time he is still like the father of modern dentistry and anesthesia like they give him a lot of credit for just like anesthesia in general so horace wells I'm going to tell you a little bit about Robert Louis Stevenson and why it's really hard to find his grave. <laughs> so what's one of the crazy things? So he was born to two parents, obviously, who mm-hmm. were more like middle class. His mm-hmm. dad was an engineer. Um, his dad actually had furniture that had been made by Deacon Brody. So mm-hmm. I joke that they were like original true crime fans. Like it was, no, we're not getting rid of that. That guy was crazy. So Stevenson was- hate you. <laughs> He was actually, well, I didn't say that they were the original Murderitos like I wrote down, so now I just said it. I think it I hate you more, congrats. <laughs> so he was actually born Robert Louis Balfour Stevenson, but he changed the spelling from L-E-W-I-S to L-O-U-I-S and dropped Balfour because a man needs control over his own name. Uh, both of his parents were Presbyterian, but not super religious, but his nanny, Allison Cunningham, was known to be pretty intensely devout as a Calvinist, and so he ended up taking religion seriously from her as a kid, and it freaked him out to the point where he was really uncomfortable with like the concepts of good and evil and that. Um, that actually explains a lot because Calvinism has some really, really crazy uh, tenets of belief. Yes. It's pretty uh, intense. Yeah. When I had to study that when I was in a Catholic school, it was like, I don't like this. Thank you. And I, the funny thing is I can tell you that as a Lutheran, <laughs> we're like, oh, okay, buddy. Um, and even then we have some weird side things too in all fairness the way that catholics talk about calvinism is like look at how far these poor idiots have strayed from god's light so as far as um like when he was a kid i mean he did read shakespeare and stuff like that because he was mostly bedridden um Mm -hmm. but he also would read things like john bunyan's pilgrim's progress with her what i found out yesterday and it makes me really uncomfortable is yes she was very religious yes her name was allison cunningham but her nickname in the family was Cunny. I don't like that, but okay. It, it sounds super uncomfortable. She was with her family for like two decades. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, he spent most of his his years bedridden, not unlike Stoker. Um, I don't know if it's just the climate or whatever, but he had all <laughs> sorts just, of bronchial it's so problems. It's cold and life. dark. You just stay inside. So initially somebody said that he had tuberculosis like that was the kind of the belief for a long time but now mm-hmm. modern medicine is like no he probably had a series of bronchial infections that just kept occurring and occurring and occurring and became more and more acute um so that ended up affecting his health later in life as well mm-hmm. but it also maintained that he read a lot and he would also be able to watch people from his window so he ended up being more introspective than you know going out and 
pretending to blow things up like other kids. For being a fucking weirdo. Yes, he is a fucking weirdo. Okay, sorry, like... I kind of hate that narrative of like, oh, he was just a sensitive lad and he, you know, he was in his own head. No, he was fucking weird. <laughs> like, that's- What's interesting is he didn't learn to read until he was like seven or eight. Mostly his family read to him. Okay. And a lot of that's just because he kept getting sick so he couldn't go to school. Mm-hmm. What I thought was really weird, and I, I heard this from Simon, somebody, and I'll, I'll put the video up. I feel bad. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But mm-hmm. he was talking about the fact that... Um, you know, the fact that they were at home and studying and like, he he would have a lot of nightmares and a lot of issues. So he couldn't go to sleep. So his dad would have fake conversations with somebody sitting next to him until Mm -hmm. he would go to sleep. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, who are you talking to? Somebody you made up? Family ghost? Like, I don't know, but it was just interesting. And so my brain starts going, what if it was the family ghost and Stevenson couldn't see it? And that, and I'm like, no, that's not actually what happened. Um, so he ended up going to the University of Edinburgh for engineering, like his dad, but he was mm-hmm. bored out of his mind and he hated it. He mm-hmm. was like, you know what I'm going to do instead? I'm going to go drink at pubs and hang out with people. And he actually ended up meeting J.M. Barry of Peter Pan fame too, which I thought was fascinating. They went to a pub once together and just got hammered and talked for a long time. I'm like, that's okay. cool. Um, so instead of you know going to lectures he just spent his time doing other things and for me I'm like oh well that's kind of a little bit of what we do when you first get freedom and go to college like yeah like what Um, writers do so his family actually said okay here's the deal um I know you you don't want to take this seriously and he goes I've decided I'm going to become a man of letters I'm going to write books and they went okay, well, have a backup career. So he started studying law. He ended up passing the bar in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, but his, I think it's really funny that his, his dad was a little disappointed, but his mom's just like, yeah, whatever. But if you're going to write books, at least study law. So when you fail, you actually have something to back it up, which I'm mm-hmm. like, thanks for that. Um, That's why so I double majored. He ended up growing his hair out really long and mm-hmm. kind of adopting more of a bohemian style and wearing velveteen jackets which I think is fascinating. So it's like, I'm going to do what I want, mom. I'm going to do what I want, dad. Um, Where he finally crossed the line with his parents is when he told them that he was an atheist, which I think is fascinating. Like, yes, son, you can go ahead and write books. You're, you're backing that up with law. Mom, I don't believe in God. Get out of my fucking house. Like, um, What happened with the guy who was responsible for the uh, afterglow Vista grave? But, like, he was a really, really devout Methodist, and one of his kids left the family faith. So when he built his elaborate tomb at the Afterglow, there are chairs for everyone but that one kid. Yes, I remember that. When lore was good. Yeah, that was a really good episode. That was first season, I think. Yeah, episode three. Like, it's one of the first. Like, Because I was driving to Arizona listening to that, being like, what the F? I should be driving a different direction. I want to oh, go so badly. Me too. My friend lives up in Washington State. Maybe we can. Our first live show on the road. Hey, Crystal, we're coming to your apartment. Woo! Woo! Um, I'm sorry, Tan. You know I miss Lore so much. Is like, it not miss... on at all anymore? No, it is. I'm just so tired of Aaron Minky's white man neoliberalism. Have you listened to The Hidden Gin with uh, yes. uh, Rabia Chaudhry? Oh my god. I was god, the one that told so you good. about those shows. Don't even. 
Well, you, you were like, that he had this whole offshoot. And I was like, yes. I went because I was curious about it. Yes. And I pulled it up and I'm just like, oh my God, I need to listen to all of this right now. Because I started well. listening to Noble Blood, which I really like. And I, yeah, I've listened to Hidden Gin. I haven't listened to um, the one that they did about the Betty and Barney Hill abduction just because like, I feel like there's no other way to retell that story. I mean, I'll probably listen to it, but like, I feel like there's no other way to retell that story. Where is Croissant? He's on the floor. Damn it. You can pick him up. Where? Well, the not against his will. But I mean, it's all against his will. He's a cat. His will. Here he is. Hello, Croissant. Say hello. Our listeners are like, what the hell? We want to see the baby. You'll see the baby during the live show. Don't worry. Yeah, I'm sure he'll hang out with he us. He looks so like- begrudged. He looks so unhappy. <laughs> He's like, put me back on the floor, woman. So I found out some really interesting stuff about Robert Louis Stevenson's wife yesterday. Which By all means. So she initially had been married to this guy in the United States. Mm-hmm. And um, so right after college, with everything going on, um, Stevenson was like, you know what? I'm going to go on this trip. And he went on a trip all of Sir Walter Scott. Mm-hmm. Saw a ton of stuff. And he ended up in this, like, I want to say it was like a French city, but it was mm-hmm. really well known for being like a bohemian hangout. And he meets this girl named Fanny mm-hmm. and she's 11 years older than him. And he's like, yep, that's it. I love this woman. I'm totally into her. And she was still married. Her mm-hmm. husband was back in the United States. He cheated on her multiple times. Mm-hmm. Like she finally got pissed off, packed up her kids and bailed to go back to Europe and took all the kids with her. Um, so first of all, Stevenson is like an awesome stepdad. And that's probably why one of the reasons we have Treasure Island. Mm -hmm. So he and Fanny were definitely into each other, but Fanny went, you know what? And this is obviously before divorce was like easier to get. She's like, listen, I've got to at least try to ride this out with my husband. I'm going back to the U S I'm going to be with him. Mm -hmm. So she went back. It was a shit show. And she wrote to Stevenson saying, listen, I just divorced my husband. I'm done. Like, I'm, I'm over it. He was like, quick minute, I'll be right there. The man gets on a boat in Glasgow, sails to New York, takes a train all the way from New York to Monterey, California. Like, mm-hmm. back when that was an ordeal, it makes him super sick. Mm-hmm. But he goes and he finds Fanny and he marries her and he, like, takes her kids in. And I'm like, holy crap. And it's such a different life for her. Now, mm-hmm. they obviously fought like couples do. She wanted to be an artist. He wasn't necessarily all that thrilled about it. Told her that she had a peasant's heart. And she got really pissed off about it. But he was like, no, 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 that's a good thing. Because you see things from different perspectives. Anyway, that was a long-standing fight that they had. Mm-hmm. But she actually takes a lot of credit for being the reason that or the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is as good as it is, because mm-hmm. the belief is that he had, like you said, he had a lot of really bad nightmares. So one night he was having a nightmare and he was like freaking out. She shook his shoulder and she's like, what are you doing? What's wrong? And he goes, oh my gosh, I got to write some stuff down. Like, mm-hmm. I know exactly where I'm going with this story. And so he started writing Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mm-hmm. Well, evidently she read the first draft of it and was like, sweetie, this is not good. <laughs> I need you to rewrite at least part of it. So he rewrote it, made it better. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was evidently one of his harshest critics when it came to writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
the book actually the first draft was written in about six weeks and that was according to his stepkids as well his stepkids were like yeah he got really into it and then it was done Mm -hmm. Um, but the six week timeline is um, usually comes from one of his stepsons Mm -hmm. so he also you know we know he wrote treasure island and kidnapped which are also really famous but evidently Mm -hmm. treasure island came from the fact that they were all kind of trapped inside one day it was really really stormy outside and they moved all over the world um and when they were staying inside doing this whole thing either he or his stepson drew a map and labeled like spyglass hill and all these really famous locations in the book Mm -hmm. and that became like what started his mind to write treasure island which i think is really cool that Um, is cool why it's super hard to find his grave so he actually took the kids and fanny um to the u.s after his parents well after his dad died Mm -hmm. um so he was like, I got nothing to connect me back to the UK. I'm going to travel. They, mm-hmm. There's all sorts of documentation about him traveling through California and the US, which is really cool if you ever get a chance to go to the Scottish Writers Museum. Mm-hmm. Um, they moved to Samoa. It's initially going to be just temporary visits to the South Pacific, but he mm-hmm. falls madly in love with Samoa. And he's like, this is where I live now. This is where we're building our house. So they bought like 300 acres of land. They had servants, which was crazy, uh, <laughs> at least to me. Um, he ended up becoming kind of an advocate for local politics and protecting the local people. Got mm-hmm. really into gardening of all things. And um, he took on the name, and I'm, I apologize to any Samoans who are listening to this, if I butcher this horribly, but it was called like the Tuisatawa, which basically means teller of tales. So he got a nickname being out there. Well, obviously, you know, had a lot of issues with his health. Um, supposedly one day he did some correspondence. He ate some like um, egg salad or something, made mayonnaise, like hung out with his family. I'm, I'm not sure about the egg salad. I just threw that out there. And then he dropped dead. And they think it was a cerebral hemorrhage. So he's actually buried on the island of Samoa. And his wife, when she passed away, they brought her cremains back and buried her with them in a very elaborate ceremony as them being reunited. But the joke is that he is the hardest man of letters of, of like UK descent to find because you have to go all the way to Samoa onto this property and it's like really hard to find. So I found that fascinating. That sounds about right. Also, it sounds a lot like botulism. Could be. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, what's interesting too is at the time of our recording this right now, uh, Stevenson is the 26th most translated author ever into various languages. I don't know why my brain auto filled that in with like you were going to say that he was still alive somehow, and it's like fucker is not. That would be amazing if it was like him and Mark Twain and like robot bodies. <laughs> so I gotta tell you guys. I, every time I see a picture of Robert Louis Stevenson, and this is probably unfair, I feel like he looks like one of those grays, like the cover of Communion by Whitley Stryber. Like, he's got these very, very big eyes, and I don't know if it had to do with, like, his bronchial problems or what, but I just sit there and I'm like, Stevenson an alien? Like, I texted Amanda last night. I have bronchial problems. Do I look like an alien? You don't look like an alien. Thank you. But it was just, it's fascinating like all the pictures of him are just like kind he of looks like val kilmer playing doc holiday what are you talking about no val kilmer it's... playing doc holiday is a sexual fantasy so. it's the same thing <laughs> no it's not yes it is no what photos of him are you seeing have, he's literally doc holiday 
I feel like now we need to do that. Like, does he look like a pole on Twitter? Does he look like Doc Holliday or an alien? No, he looks like Shane Midday. Shane Midday. From BuzzFeed Unsolved. Uh, oh, yeah, no, that he does. He sh- it's just Shane. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Now I just want to have Robert Louis Stevenson walk in and go, hey, demons, it's me, you boy. Like, right, like, it's just, that's, that's literally just Shane Midday. What the hell, Tori? I don't know, man. I don't know. Did we get any listener questions this week? We did not. I'm disappointed in all of you. I'm actually lush. I'm not disappointed in anyone. Yeah, okay. I'm going through the gallery on Wikipedia. This is literally just Shane. Has someone brought this to his attention? Um, I don't know. I don't Should think we be have. the ones that bring this to his attention that he's a time traveler? It's entirely possible. It's kind of like Nick Cage and um, now they're saying Oscar Isaacs also might be. <laughs> I can see that. Stop Keanu calling Reeves, out. Definitely. Yeah. Yes. Stop calling out the immortals. Stop calling out the immortals. We can't. They can't know. Yet no one knew Angie from Angel's Bay and Dark Horse. Or not Dark Horse. Dark Shadows. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we just rewatched Dark Shadows the other day. That's where that came from. I had no questions. I was willing to okay. let you just do that. Okay. Eva Green is is I rewatched um, The Spirit yesterday. Oh, I've actually never seen that. And I was reminded of uh me learning that I'm not straight because of Eva Mendes. It's like ah that is a woman. Ava Mendes is gorgeous. Like my loins, they feel frothy. Uh, not even just like just just some not respectfully staring all right did we have to read this in school we already kind of answered this a little bit yeah i did not read this in school but this was a book i read a lot uh, abridged as a child which again really someone should have said something but that didn't happen so hello it is me i have mental illness we didn't have to read this in school but like a lot of the stuff that we talked about would tend to reference we didn't read like any of the fun stuff in school i don't think the book was fun i like the ideas of the book are fun huh i liked it because it was short it is short i think okay i think the ideas in the book are fun i don't think the book is fun and i assume we're not revealing what our next book is but it's a lot longer than this one it's uh significantly longer and also will probably make me relive my life as a 16-year-old and cry, so. Um, I mean, I will be there. <laughs> Hopefully with no tears. Like, <sighs> Hopefully with no tears. Uh, do you want to go over some adaptations really fast? Yes. So the if you want to see the original adaptation of the John Barrymore silent movie, it is on Amazon Prime right now. So if you're mm-hmm. a Prime member, you get that for free. Not yet a sponsor. Yep. Um, um, so this was actually a couple, one that I found uh, there's a webcomic called The Glass Scientist which is a comic that I love uh, done by Hiveworks and basically it's one of the artists who did a lot of work on a Star versus the Forces of Evil just did a webcomic really? yeah and uh, it's basically the story of Jekyll and Hyde but make it steampunk and gay I mean that just sounds like I, something I would read for fun it's very good. It's shockingly good. 
it's not going to be very book accurate, obviously, but like, yeah, it's basically just a Jekyll and Hyde uh, fan fiction with some fantastic art and very gay. So I do have to throw out, if you want to talk Jekyll and Hyde fan fiction, Stephen Moffat had a Jekyll show. God, I want to say like 10, 15 years ago. And it was so bad. The funny thing was I was in it to win it until the very last episode. And then I went, what the hell is this? Not unlike his Dracula adaptation that we just suffered through recently. That was like a, that was like a year ago. Was it? Yes. Well, I mean, we are in five years now. Like it's been five years since 2020 started. So yeah. Like, no, like we did that last year. Um, yeah. He had a horrible Jekyll show. Uh, that no one likes talking about. If you watch the Age Bomber guy's really, really long video about why Sherlock is bad, he spends a lot of time talking about Jekyll because you see a lot of the bones of why Sherlock is bad in why Jekyll is bad. <laughs> Basically, just stop giving Moffat money. Just um, stop letting him do things. Yes. Uh, there was an episode of Wishbone. Because, as there should be. There is an episode of Wishbone. It's very good. So I saw the, um, why can't I think of her name right now? Formerly of Drunk Austin. She's my favorite. Mom brain. Bianca, thank you. Bianca, is it Rodriguez? I don't know her last name. Bianca, anyhow, online had a whole thing about how Darcy was the, um, the wishbone Darcy was the best Darcy for Pride and Prejudice. Well, because he was. Like, that's not even. Exactly. And I go, well, you you can't argue with perfection. Mm-hmm. But it was great because she was don't at me. And I'm like, yes, beautiful. Anyway, Bianca is, is awesome. I'm actually going to pull up her Twitter so I can tell you like what her actual Twitter handle is. So I'm what not her just human like name is. speaking out into the distance like I normally do. I know we're all shocked. There but is a, uh, there is a retelling of this in an episode of Arthur, which is a show that I watched when I was a kid. Um, that's pretty mimetic and good. Like the entire library episode is pretty much a meme now on the internet because uh till because people like me are remembering how expressive Arthur was. So Bianca Hernandez at Book Hoarding. Mm-hmm. So her Twitter is handle is at Book Hoarding. Bianca's amazing. She is. Also does a lot of Star Wars stuff now too. Yeah, um, there's a lot of Star Wars. So one of my favorite adaptations of basically any literary horror creature is League of Extraordinary Gentlemen by Alan Moore. I wish he um, didn't hate women. I wish he didn't hate women either. But if you ever want to read about just like the sheer fact of what happens when men with a lot of money and arcane knowledge have battles amongst each other, look up stuff about Alan Moore and witchcraft. It will make for a delightfully interesting afternoon. Yeah. Um, and then we technically have to mention that horrible. Um, tom cruise mummy movie because he's in there too (laughs) there's i mean literally if you go to youtube and you look up dr jekyll and mr hyde it's just like all these adaptations and stuff like that it's a it's a story that you know from so many other things before you've seen the thing so i remember as a kid there was uh we had the hollywoodland wax museum in like Mm -hmm. winter park so it was not even in hollywood um but the monster area was the most fascinating i was like 15 so i was like terrified of it I did not like monster movies. I didn't want things jumping out at me, but they mm-hmm. were getting ready to close. So I figured I was going to go in there. Mm-hmm. Dracula was beautiful. Their Phantom for Phantom of the Opera was beautiful. Just like what we were standing there. They had mm-hmm. a full on creature from the Black Lagoon, like actually had made a pond situation. 
-hmm. And then as you kind of turn the corner, you got into some different movies. So they had like Vincent Price's Wax Museum movie where like they had like a fake body breathing on the table. But Mm -hmm. the creepy thing about that was right behind it was the Jekyll and Hyde transformation in the mirror, which you see in one of the black and white versions. Mm -hmm. And it had sound effects. So you could just hear him like doing this heavy breathing before he starts like cackling. And it, I just remember being terrified because I would be looking at the wax museum thing where it looks like it's breathing and then you hear that out of your ear. Mm-hmm. And then you turn the corner, hit this mat with your foot and um, the girl from the exorcist, Reagan from the exorcist's head would turn around and she looked like she was throwing up pea soup. And then if you stepped back from that because you were freaked out by it, you would hit another mat and the shower mm-hmm. curtain from Psycho would pull back and it was just um, uh, Bates with Norman Bates there going, eh, dressed up like his mother which was fucking mm-hmm. crazy anyway missed that place dramatically because after that you were emptied out into the gift shop where all the candy and snacks were they also had a really large dr Zhivago set mm-hmm. star trek the star trek one got purchased by somebody i want to say it's at like the sci-fi museum now in hollywood but like that was the one that had like the lavar burton statue from when he was on reading rainbow oh and they did like a whole special on it. This has nothing to do with, with this now. I apologize. I was just letting you go. You seem to have fond memories. It was so good. You, <laughs> there's, there, there's, a beautiful, there's a beautiful point in the podcast where Amanda gets really quiet and just lets Tori talk. And it's like, we just seem to be having a good time. There's, there's always a reverse as well. Like, it's not just Tori whinging. I also get whinging time. But like... A, I feel like we have equal whinging time. We do get equal whinging time. Like, there's always, like, a beautiful moment where, like, either of us just gets really quiet. And it's like, you just sound like you're having a good time. I'm just going to let you, I'm just going to let you run with that. Like, you just, you're, you know, you're feeling yourself. <laughs> Go on. You have fun. We do have some resources. And there are going to be a lot more, too, um, just because I was starting to put them together. So one of the ones that I came across last night Mm-hmm. was Robert Louis Stevenson, Life, Living Life Through Imagination from Biographics. And that's that gentleman, Simon, who's Who very, fuck? very detailed. Who the fuck uh, wrote that? Uh-huh. Uh, Lost Worlds, The True Story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. There's going to be 100 years of Hyde transformation. Mm-hmm. And then, um, obviously, Spark Notes, because I wanted to make sure that I captured everything. Mm-hmm. You had a really good one on here too. Yeah, um, I did add in a dark matter supposed to be true in there, just only because like they do a really really good retelling of that uh, Horace Wells story. If you've never seen Dark Matters, um, they have all these like great um, stories about the military and science and history that like you you probably have known about loosely or you've never heard about at all. Um, and it just there are some episodes that just fuck with you like they had one on the monster study that like I knew about the monster study already but seeing it acted out made me so sad you're just okay so I will admit I don't know what the monster study is okay so I had to like readjust my whole body for that so the monster study was a study uh done on children (laughs) Because the idea was that you could basically cause a stutter or fix a stutter through, like, very, very strict behavioral changes. 
So you'd get these children, like almost all of them, like in foster care, they're orphans. And I'm pretty sure this was like 19, it's early 1900s before children were people. <laughs> and it's all these kids who were fine, who didn't have stutters, but there was like this one authoritarian lady who like they would start talking and it's like, you're stuttering, stop stuttering like that. And just like every moment they would just be on them. And eventually it just broke these kids down and they just stopped talking entirely. Wow. So it's called the monster study because it like psychologically damaged these children. <laughs> um, and it didn't prove the point at all. Like now we still don't know what causes a stutter. We still have no idea, but cool. Thanks. Now we just have some fucked up children running around. Um, well, they're probably dead now. Cause this was like early 1900s, but you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, uh, I really like dark matters. It's a great show. I can see why people didn't like it, though. It's very melodramatic. Well, I mean, to be fair, that's kind of like a History Channel, Travel Channel thing. I jokingly call it the Travel Channel special, where it's like mm-hmm. the cut scenes and the jerky like images of things that mm-hmm. are supposed to be ghosts. Mm-hmm. And you're going, that's just some poor extra who had to crawl backwards on his back that you paid mm-hmm. $10 to be in this scene. Like, Yeah, it's, I, I think this was uh, sci-fi, I want to say. It was is who did dark matters but um it's a great show they do talk about some things that are like i didn't know that and then like you dig deeper and it's like oh because because some of the things that they'll talk about are like there is no way this can be true and then you google it and it's like oh this is true and somehow it's worse yeah how is this how is this happening right and then like somehow it's actually much much worse it's like oh no it was already bad when you were talking about it and now it's even sadder like the guy who invented the theremin being conscripted by the american government to spy on the soviets because he was married to a black lady oh yeah why though because they needed to use his theremin technology his sound technology to build secret recording devices and they said, and they basically blackmailed him and said, "Hey, you're married to the black woman. We don't like this, and uh, because we don't like this, we're gonna make you a spy." Oh my gusta! So that was a fun episode. Yeah. All right. So we're nearing the end of our time. We will be back. <laughs> we with have time. We have we have an allotment. Evidently, I do today. Okay. But, um, <laughs> Um, we are all over social media. You mm-hmm. can find us on Unfortunately Required on Facebook, Unfortunately mm-hmm. RR on Twitter, mm-hmm. Unfortunately Required on Instagram, Unfortunately Required Reading.com if you just mm-hmm. want to go one place. Um, and on top of all that, the holidays are coming. If you want to buy some of our merch, mm-hmm. there are options. So we actually have a Redbubble store where Amanda has been amazing enough to upload some things. It's redbubble.com slash people slash Unfortunately RR slash shop. Mm-hmm. That is actually on our website as well. So if you didn't get that the first time, that's there. Yes. Or if you want to buy one of the books that we talk about on the podcast, we're also on bookshop.org. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find us under Unfortunately Required Reading, or you can look at bookshop.org slash lists slash books dash from dash the dash podcast. Also, it's, that's it's almost the, the holidays. Tori's going into capitalist mode. 
Hell yeah. I'm broke as shit. I had to have surgery this year, right? I, that was not said in judgment. <laughs> or if you just want to donate to our podcast, we are on anchor.fm slash unfortunately required reading. Yeah. Um, as we would like to take a moment to thank our uh, sponsors and patrons who continue to keep the lights on and allow us to plentifully have liquor and food on our plates. Um, I mean, they, they don't, but it helps. <laughs> it's always like a weird thing of like, we appreciate you and we're going to leave it there. Um, stay tuned. In a couple of weeks, we will have a Halloween special that will probably include video because costumes we're going to try to be as upbeat as we can for Halloween this year, y'all, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and set that bar real low. Uh, we're both exhausted. It's, I, and if it, it probably will malign half of our audience, but I am a candy corn eater. I'm also a candy corn eater. I don't understand where the hatred is. It just tastes like know. sugar. That's yeah, it's all. just sugar. I don't understand. Maybe it's just like, an extra thing for people. You know, I actually, I like the little mallow pumpkins more. Those are good. I yeah, can like eat like that's... three of them though before my body's like too much yeah, sugar to shut down. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, yeah, that's that's such a weird hot take for me. It's like candy corn's evil. It's like it just tastes like sugar. It tastes like honey. It just tastes like sugar. What the? Why are you mad at candy corn? We digress. Um, yeah, that was a good episode. You guys know where to find us. Just go to the website. <laughs> All right. We will see you all on Halloween. Try to enjoy your spooky season as much as you can. Yeah. And uh, stay safe. Um, enjoy yourself. And for the love of God, go read a book.